When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show. How are you? You guys doing all right? I think uh, I, I think right off the bat, um, I, I will tell you that the show is recorded today. Tom is at Disney World. <laughs> but he's here. He's actually here. I'm Jeff. That's Tom. Director Matthew floating around the place. Twitter's at Jay Cameron Show. Come on in, everybody. We're treating today as a libations Friday. It is, it is Thursday, but I, I, I think I've, I'm going to refer to the show in Friday terms. Uh, throughout the afternoon, just so you know, right off the bat, because we're off tomorrow and we're off Monday and we're going to enjoy the hell out of that. That is correct. going to go pay a visit to the mouse for a few days. And then uh, I'm going to go down, go see my pops for a Memorial Day weekend. His birthday is on the 30th of this month. So it'll be nice to have a nice mini cool. birthday for him. So it's going to be a, a long weekend, but a good one. In advance, happy birthday to your father. You know how old that, he is. You know exactly how old he is. On, he's uh, as old as my dad. It's a big birthday. That's right. They're, uh, he's, your dad's the 8th, the 5th? May 8th, that's right. Eighth. All right, 22 days apart. That's so crazy because we are 15 yeah. years apart. I am the world's worst with birthdays. I, I, I forget everybody's birthday, including close family members. I always, for whatever reason, remember my father's birthday. I'm these. There you go. All right. Well, his birthday is May 8th, 1948. There you go. Well, it's just funny because I don't know why that is. I don't maybe being the product of divorce. So when you're <laughs> when you're in separate houses, you're like, oh, I got to remember the little things, birthdays, Christmas, stuff like that, because I'm not always going to see them. So it was kind of yeah, I think I, I think that's why I did. It's the make it count theorem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyhow, yes, he, he just had a big birthday. And he has resolved. He's resigned himself. I don't know if your dad's doing this. He's resigned himself to the, um, you know, I've got to embrace these birthdays. Uh, who knows how many more I have? Whoa. That's that's what he does. That's what my yeah. dad does. Uh, my dad is more. Uh, it's dark humor, but there's more dark humor on phone calls with him these days. This is what happens when you get old. Some days I can't open my hand, and I got to pry <laughs> it open with my finger. And some days I can. And I, you know what you do, though? You have fun with it. You wake up, you play a game. 
How many fingers can I open? Oh my god, that's without crazy. using my other hand. And some days I guess it right. Some days it's two. Some days I told it's you. Five. I told you this too the other day, or well, no, I probably told you this last year, but I've mentioned it frequently, kind of offhandedly. My mother, who's in incredible shape, um, and has been in great shape because she eats like a bird, she eats healthy, she exercises every day, and has her whole life. So she's. She's what we should aspire to health-wise, like really, really disciplined. And yet, because of age, she'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I told you this on the air. I told the audiences. I told her I was having problems with my shoulder about a year ago where I just would be like, ah, geez, I don't know what's going on with my shoulder. She's like, oh, there are weeks I can't even feel my arm. I'm like, what? What? She goes, oh, yeah. She goes, I had a stretch uh, about a year ago where I couldn't feel my left arm for two weeks. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is what we have waiting on us, Tom. Yeah, this is uh, – you, you gain an appreciation, too, because you know, relative to your age, your dad was a lot younger for you as you went through. Correct. So Correct. My dad obviously was 15 years older. So starting in freshman year of high school for you, you know, that's how my dad was for the entirety of my full childhood. And so he used to play golf with me through a lot of pain and, and we play golf less frequently, but I mean, we played all the time and he'd have these terrible pains. Yeah. And I realize now that he was 50. He's your age. He was in his late forties, early fifties. He served in Nam. You know, he did all these things. He blew out his knee playing a uh, rec league softball when he was 30 before I was born. Yeah, Sure. So, He's got all these pains and I'm like, dad, get it together. We got to move. Let's go because I'm 15 and I'm an ass. And now I realize he must have gutted through a lot of bull crap, you know, in order to play with me. And I should have appreciated that more. What do yeah, you it's for? funny. Uh, I make fun of myself these days. You have no choice. Otherwise, you get extremely frustrated. But, you know, there was a stretch of about three weeks recently where you and I would go play. And I'm like, God, my shoulder. I don't know what's going on with my shoulder. But I had I had jarred it somehow, and then it just was you don't heal as quickly as you once did, and so it's just like three weeks. I'm like, oh. So he has TMJ. You know, he has a particular yeah. issue. He he messed up his discs shoveling snow back in the day, which is why they moved. <laughs> and he has a shoulder issue, and so he's playing golf through all that. And he'd hit a bad shot, and he'd do this thing, and I go, "Is it the shoulder again?" Like a jerk, you know. Well, yeah, it, that's what's hard about it. It's like. Because we watch athletes do it too, Tom. Like elite 20-year-old athletes have a loser's limp, if you will, you know? And so you're kind of like, come on, Dad. You just yeah. shanked it. You know you did. It's not your shoulder. But it was his shoulder, you know? <laughs> and I'm sure it was excruciating. The man has a really high pain tolerance. So, you know, That's sorry, okay. Dad. Uh, happy birthday. Sorry, man. I, I really apologize. Hey, something on the plate here, Florida State related, that I actually think is interesting. And um, a couple of things we'll get into this hour. But I saw this Earlier today, before we came on here and got together to do the show, um, Adam Rittenberg, ESPN senior writer, I think he does a good, good, just good work for them. You know, the funny thing is ESPN gets beat up a lot, and our fan base hates ESPN. Um, I know what ESPN is, and I don't really worry about it, and I actually think they're better than people give them credit for. But that said, if you're on top of the heap, you're going to take beatings, and that's just what comes with the territory. But Rittenberg does a good job, and um, he he did a story – um, basically college football future power rankings for offenses. He's done it for defenses as well. And so it's this season, you know, I mean, we, we talk about this and I wanted to look at 
where we sat on these rankings for 2023, 2024, and 2025. And for whatever reason, I'm going to sneeze incessantly this entire segment. Well, here's what I can do. I can start the conversation by laying. I'm back. Oh. <laughs> but I got to the mute button that time. You did. You I didn't even have to click it. I couldn't believe it. I went and I saw the function, and it's already clicked. So good. For yeah, you. no, I did. I, I I survived it this time around. Um, anyhow, something gets got in my nose right when we started. Um, so I'm just going to read you this because, and then I'll give you the rankings. And we can have a conversation about it because it's interesting. The challenge with ESPN's future power rankings is projecting success over the next three seasons: 23, 24, and 25. Washington breaks into the top ten of our future rankings for offense after being unranked last year. Penix is amongst an excellent group of returning quarterbacks in the Pac-12. How many have the right players around them and behind them on the depth chart for staying power through 2025, though? And then they get into these assessments and they rank quarterbacks defenses they've done all that stuff and how they go forward with these uh, incoming uh, freshmen and departing recruits and transfers um, and then other people that came into your program obviously via transfer portal as well so you've got a lot of balance there uh, he notes that coaching continuity also played a role in his rankings so you want yeah obviously if you have Lincoln Riley or you have Ryan Day as your coordinator and head coach, uh, that helps. That helps. You know, if you've got, um, you know, other play callers that are coming in for their first year, that's not as stable. So last year, Ohio State and Alabama led the rankings. Here's what he has now for the new top 25. And I can't see how he wouldn't have USC number one. And I'm correct. He's got USC number one because that's what Lincoln Riley does year in and year out. It doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. He basically won a Heisman Trophy for every Oklahoma quarterback that played under him. And now Caleb Williams has done the same. So here you go. They're number one. Don't need to get into it. Ohio State's number two. That's because every year they have the best receiving core in football. And every year, some quarterback you've never heard of replaces the one that just left and was all world and steps right in and lights it up. I'm fine with that. He's got Georgia there at number three. Now, to me, I'm not so sure I would have gone with that. Um, just because you are changing coordinators and you are losing your starting quarterback in Stetson Bennett. And I get that they have talented um, quarterbacks coming in and all world talent around them. But when you lose Todd Munkin, Tom, I think that's a problem. Todd Munkin's an elite coach. I do as well. This is about them being a fixed in the top two of the recruiting rankings for years and years and years more than it is that that's going to outweigh the coordinator situation and, and the talent in the trenches is going to do so as well. I think that's the reasoning there. I get it. And, uh, it you know, Alabama 10 years ago could have been number three or number four in the rankings without a quarterback just because, you know, they're going to be able to run the ball down your throat. That's correct. But I think that's probably the thinking here. Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, we'll skip ahead. He's got Alabama four and he's got Michigan five because they run the ball. Plus, they've got J.J. McCarthy, who was a freshman a year ago. I get all that. That's fine. Tennessee, again, Josh Heupel, he has brought an offensive philosophy that's going to be unwaveringly uh, prolific. They're going to throw the ball around. I believe that. But he's got Oklahoma at seven, Washington at eight. Nine, Texas. Well, hard not to, to think about that with Arch Manning there. And then Florida State. And very specifically, this is what I wanted to get to. He writes, Florida State hired coach Mike Norvell largely because of his track record on offense. After three seasons, Norvell has a team poised to achieve his vision beginning this fall. Quarterback Jordan Travis returns for his final season. 
boosted by a huge 2022 campaign that featured 3,214 pass yards, 417 rush yards, 64% completions, 33 touchdowns. After 2023, FSU could turn to Tate Rodemaker at quarterback, a veteran backup, stepped in for Travis at times last season, or younger players that I like, A.J. Duffy, ESPN number three pocket passer, number 60 overall recruit in 2022. The Knowles also have 2024 commitment from ESPN 300 QB Luke uh, Cromenhawk. FSU's running back situation also looks good as Trey Benson returns, and he goes on through the whole thing, right? And he notes that they have also commitment, running back Cameron Davis, top 50 prospect. The biggest reason for FSU's rise is an offensive line group that underperformed for years, but finally sees stable footing. And he goes through all of those. And then he talks about young receivers, which we're going to do later this hour too, Tom. I'm very excited about that. And he does rightfully mention the rectified tight end room. So he's doing his homework at the very least. He does understand where FSU improved. And I think for these, these reasons, um, Florida State is rightfully in that top 10. I would note that a certain freshman quarterback is the reason I'm very excited about the future of this offense and not Tate Rodemaker. Sorry, Tate. You'll hold it down for a year, possibly. But the real reason to get excited is the kid that just came in here at quarterback uh, in spring. Yeah, Brock Glenn. Uh, I agree. I'm surprised not to see his name there, considering he was an Ohio State commit. Adam Rittenberg, like everybody else, uh, politics is local. Well, so is the way you cover things. Having Michigan at number four and Tennessee at number five or five, six, whatever it was, is ludicrous to me. Tennessee should absolutely be trending beyond Michigan on offense. Michigan, come on now. And that system looks like it's going to be fortified again with a different quarterback. I think Tennessee is going to prove that this year. But because he, Adam Rittenberg is a Big Ten guy, I would think that Brock Glenn might have made the list there. And I agree with you. I feel more comfortable in the future stock of Brock Glenn as a bridge to Cromenhawk than I do with A.J. Duffy at present. It's not to say that Duffy didn't have a good finish to spring. He did. But Brock Glenn looked much more comfortable in his first camp than A.J. Duffy did, relatively speaking, if you're comparing apples to apples. However, the one thing that Brock Glenn walked into versus A.J. Duffy was a much more healthy situation on the offensive line so that you could actually run the offense instead of getting dominated and having one second to make a decision. So uh, Glenn had it a little bit easier in that regard. But if you were to strip away all the players on offense that are going to be gone next year, and there are a lot of them, you start to actually have more answers for next year. The last six months has proven that. Dre Jacobs, Hakeem Williams, now Destin Hill, Goldie Lawrence. And Darius Jacobs. Dre, yeah, that, yeah, I said Dre. I led with Oh, that. sorry, I didn't hear you. Yep. Biscuit will be your tight end next year. There's no problem there. I think Morlock's got an extra year. Yeah, Morlock will be here. Yeah. In case, in case he wants to stick around because he'll be featured more next year instead of Jaheim Bell. Uh, Rodney Hill, Keziah Holmes. Uh, I mean, there's more running backs there. The Sam Singleton's coming in. Cam Davis in the next recruiting class. I mean, Lucas Simmons, Julian Armella. Like, you start to think about next year, and it's not as much of a uh, – a grand exodus where there's nothing behind it when you, when you go position by position. Yeah, I've been saying this for a while. I don't think we're going to fall off as much as everybody else does. I think you got to figure out the quarterback position. That's really it. You just got to figure out the quarterback position. I think he's now brought in enough talent. We've raised the floor to a place where Florida State can win 10 games, uh, and we should start expecting it every year. That's what the standard has to be again. It's always been the standard. Let's get back to that. Everybody loses players. You've got to recruit at a high level so that you don't have massive drop-offs and great fluctuation. 
you need to be able to go from winning 11 games one year, 10 games the next year, 12 the next year, back down to 10 or 11. It, It ought not be we win 10, win 11, win six. No, that's not what we're doing around here. So I do think the talent is there on this roster. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get better, Tom. I think they will continue to thrive. This is an offensive-minded coach with Alex Atkins on his side. Game plan, really good week to week. Jeff Camacho, 93.3, Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply what's up guys our next partner that you're going to hear from is athletic greens you've heard me talk about athletic greens in the past happy to talk about them again i take athletic greens every day And I gave them a try because certainly I wanted more energy, sustained energy. I wanted to support my immune system. I don't like taking pills and vitamins per se. And I wanted something that tasted good too. And the first time I tried it, I was very surprised. Uh, It had an appreciable effect on my energy levels. And also uh, over time, you'll note that it, uh, it helps your skin, your hair, your nails. I don't have a lot of hair, but if I did, I bet I could feel that. I bet I could tell. It's a comprehensive health uh, habit and uh, it is a, a powerful one at that. AG1 is great for recovery. Uh, that's athletic greens. And uh, I, I take mine basically when I wake up every morning. I don't have to worry about it because you get all the nutrients that you want. It's the best way to ensure that you're going to get all of your vitamins. It's a carbon neutral business, by the way, if that's important to you. It is to a lot of people, and that's good to know as well. I would also note that uh, it is a comprehensive solution to what you need from a supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs right now with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Helps me out, guys, if you use that. Not financially, but it lets them know that you heard this ad on my show. And I do take it, and I am vouching for them because I enjoy their product. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. Check it out. I think you'll note the difference in your life with a simple drink each and every morning to start your day. Athleticgreens.com slash JCS. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. I watched the rain, it settled in, disappeared for days again. Most of us were staying in, lazy like the sky. Letters flew across the wire, filtered through a million Alfred 
forget to do it. I don't want to forget to do it. I forgot it the other day as well. Um, there have been like three or four lately. Most of the people, and this is the thing that kind of sucks with uh, what's happened with, um, I don't know, what what, what's, what would you call it, Tom? The, the law that does not allow us <laughs> uh, copyright infringement that doesn't allow us to play bumper music? Yeah, uh, that, would, that would be correct, yes. And uh, the manner by which are the bots. The bots are trained to hear beyond, I think it's six or seven seconds of audio. And once they do, it's like you get zapped. We're holding out hope that in due time that the same sort of deal that allows you to play bumper music on the radio for the radio part of this. For, for a, we can do it for a minute. We can do it 45 seconds, whatever we want. Um, that's because what is the name of that um uh, that's a licensing group. There's two of them, BMI and ASCAP. I knew, I knew yeah. one of them was BMI. I couldn't remember the other. If you are a, uh, if you're a restaurant owner or somebody who has live music at your establishment, it's the same group and they are ruthless. So you've got to be very, very careful about that. Yeah. yeah. And so you're allowed to play these things without getting sued and you're allowed to play these, the bumper music and all that, uh, because of deals like that. Um, but but it hasn't come to the world of YouTube, and we monetize this show on YouTube, okay? So there's no getting around that. We want to be multimedia. We want to be able to be on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube as well as Warchant TV and Terrestrial Radio 93.3, and there are different rules that govern this. But for many years, and you guys know this, most of you know this, uh, almost another character on the show was my bumper music, and I'm a music nut. And uh, Tom shares a passion for music as well. And so we have, uh, I think, I think uh, a lot of people came to the show early on because of bumper music. Oh, there's a guy playing the replacements on this show as bumper music. I actually ended up with a dear friend who now is the uh, head of the Bob Dylan Museum in Tulsa, who has a music theory PhD. He, he came to the show because he heard the bumper music. He was like, this guy's okay. I, I just heard Fugazi. I just heard, yeah, you name it. Right. So, I wish we could still do that. Why am I bringing that up right now? Well, I'm still a music nut. Nothing's changed. We just don't get the chance to play it for you the way that we would. We have to have, that's why when we do probables, we don't play summer wind and all the things that we used to do. And it pisses us off. Now I'm not going to harp on the negatives of that because the, the pros outweigh it. I mean, I will admit that, you know, being able to be multimedia has enabled us to grow and, and do good things. But on days like today, where I want to salute the great Tina Turner, who passed away last night, we can't really do it in music form the way I would have wanted. You got to give uh, old uh, Eric Angel credit. She passed away just before the show. He got the, the chat message in, but we were wrapping up on Probables. So it happened yesterday afternoon uh, around lunchtime. Yeah, and here's, here, uh, you know, <clears throat> rest in peace, Tina Turner. What, what a life. Um, but <clears throat> here's what I would say. For some artists, and a lot of times, I mean, there are artists that pass and, you know, I don't make mention because I either wasn't into the catalog or wasn't really aware of what they accomplished. I mean, we don't do it for everybody, but it is the Jeff Cameron show. And if, so if somebody was in any way impactful musically uh, for me, I tend to bring it up. You know, the, the basis for the Smiths died the other day of pancreatic cancer. He's 59 years old. Sucks. I would have played something although it's not necessarily conducive to play the Smiths of bumper music. Uh, <laughs> a little dark, a little dark, um, but he was a tremendous talent. You could cherry uh, pick a song or two. And it would yeah, been. we do. We, we, and we have, and we have. It's, it's there all on the Spotify list. I think there's some Smiths on there. But anyhow, um, so the point would be typically we, we try to 
doff the cap and acknowledge the life well lived and uh, and their contributions. And when you the, the one thing I'll think about with her is that I was uh, I, I wasn't old enough to remember her in the 60s or even the very early 70s when she's touring with Ike Turner and you see all that famous footage. Uh, let's let's face it. A woman was uh, a legend for her long muscular legs and tireless energy and her showmanship when she toured with Ike Turner. And, you know, we, we, we know all that stuff. Where I remember her is where a lot of people remember her, which is the resurgent after getting out from under his abusive hands. And we know that story, tragic as it is. And I always admired the fact that somebody in their mid-40s, and we're talking now back in the 80s, coming forth and being like, yeah, listen, uh, the life you thought I lived, no, that ain't it. I was born in a segregated hospital in Tennessee. My name's Anna Mae Bullock, and my husband beat the hell out of me for the better part of 30 years. My life sucked, and because he was always broke, gambling debts, drug debts, you name it, we had to tour incessantly. I once had to sing with a collapsed lung. I had pneumonia and bronchitis, but because this ass would not not tour because he had to repay debts to gangsters, I had to be out there carrying the day all the time. So that's not what I'm going to do anymore. I'm going to make my own music, and I'm going to do it my way. And look, man, was What's Love Got to Do With It or any of those things, are those albums I raced out and bought? No, but I acknowledge that that is a hell of a midlife turnaround, and she vaulted herself to even greater fame. And if you think about, I mean, she was in financial ruin when all of this happened, and she becomes a superstar in her 40s and talks openly at a time where people did not do this about her pain and her trauma and the abuse, and it, it was an effort to help change those conditions for millions of women around the world. Dude! Well lived. She ended up living in a 260,000 square foot house in Zurich in Switzerland. That's what she did. That's where she's lived for the second half of her life. 260,000 square feet. She bought a, she bought a castle uh, and apparently got very, very good, uh, a very, very good deal on it at the time. Uh, it would be tough to do now. Great and uh, steel, you should really use this real estate agent. Unbelievable. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it. It's right on the lake. It was a dollar a square foot. What are you going to do? Yeah, lake search. So she uh, she ended up living there for the rest of her life. And who wouldn't? It's unreal. And she toured at her pace and obviously had massive hits. And um, yeah, was an extraordinary performer and musician. And I think in many ways, a role model for a lot of women who uh, had to lift themselves up from financial ruin and abuse. So tip of the cap, Tina Turner, rest in peace. 83. 83. This is one of those situations where I just uh, yield, you know, it's you, it's the Jeff Cameron show anyway, but I mean, it's specifically when you're talking about somebody who lived the bulk of their professional career before 1990. Yeah. It's like, you tell me about the circumstances and what it was like to watch her, on all the late shows and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that she did the circuit more than once with Ike and then by herself. And you watch those things because the, the channels, uh, there were like six of them back in the day and she was on them. I yeah, don't know those things. Was... I just remember her being on, you know, like music choice or a jukebox when I go out there and she was 
always in existence. So you remember her when she wasn't always a solo artist and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I do. Um, uh, but but I would go back and just say this. Um, the, the the Mel Gibson movie uh, out there in the dystopian world in the um, in the in the sand, which they've remade. Um, what women want? What? No, I said I, what women want. Oh, no, no. <laughs> That's the Helen Hunt. <laughs> that is, yeah. yeah. Um, no, what, what's the name of that series? Uh, Mad Max? Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mad Max, she was famous when they did the remake or the second piece. Uh, I never saw it. Um, uh, but it I was, didn't either. You know, another hero. Did, did you see the, uh, the Tom Hardy version? Which I heard was incredible. Won the Academy Award. I, buddy, I have tried four times now, and I can't get past the first 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, no, I'm done. Well, I'm done. see, that's not – okay, so what's funny about that really quickly, I have not seen it, and I love Tom Hardy, and I heard the direction was amazing, cinematography was amazing, story was – I've heard that. Obviously nominated, won a bunch of awards, all that other stuff. The thing is, I never liked the original, and everybody else did. I saw it as a kid. Yeah. This is before Mel Gibson was a superstar. This is the vehicle that led him to become a superstar. But I I remember it used to be on HBO incessantly. Back in the days where you physically had to turn the little black box to get to HBO. Right. Just like a U.S. Marshals is on AMC right now. Right now. Out. Yeah. 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 So it was on HBO incessantly. And I think by virtue of catching different parts of that movie out of order – I've put it together. I've I got it. I've seen everything there is to see in that movie, but I never really liked it. I never, it was, it wasn't my thing. And I don't even mean like it was, you know, I'm not one of these people like, Oh, it's too violent. No, no more violence, please, please. No, no, it's not that. I just, just violence, violence doesn't bug me. Dystopian stuff doesn't get, I mean, no. no, these things don't phase me. Slow burn movies, action packed nonsense movies, like a, a right. Schwarzenegger or a Van Damme. No problem. No problem. It's just, I've tried, and I was in four different frames of mind thinking, okay, surely now I am in the mood to watch Mad Max. You're going to make me watch it because I, I have a suspicion. So we, so my friend, the, Stephen Rafferty, graduated FSU Film School, worked out in Los Angeles for the better part of two decades. Um, he, he's a no-nonsense movie reviewer. He will tell you, like, even if a movie wins 100 awards, he'll call you go, don't watch it. It sucks. It's a terrible movie. People have gotten swept away with this nonsense. You know, or the opposite. You know, I'll see something that gets panned. He's like, one of the brilliant pieces of cinema in the last 30 years. You need to watch it. People don't know what they're looking at. You know, that kind of guy. Like, he will tell you. And he loved that movie. So I don't know, man. I've got to, I got to, we've got to. Maybe you and I should watch it together. <laughs> we should. Maybe we could stop by our old Delta 8 friends and then that's the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Let's go, little Mad Max. Uh, here we go. <laughs> I got my juice. <laughs> it's the Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Let's talk some Florida State receivers next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. 
Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Do you remember Regatta's Beer? It's such an ugly song. I've heard a rumor from ground control. Oh, no. Don't say it's true. Rolling on Libations Friday. And, uh, you know... I think we should probably uh, reassess a couple of things here, Tom. I saw it. I, I stumbled across it. I um, and I guess I should alert everybody too. It's it's on our website. I've been on. Um, you know, I think we're. We said yesterday on the show we're certainly getting into list season. And uh, you and I did a video that some people commented on, and uh, the video was about the the Jameis snub in the top ten there. And uh, I think we actually handled that video the way we were supposed to handle it, which is sort of like, hey, guys. You get the deal here. Um, you know, if it's by yards, he's got no chance. If it's by, you know, if you're going to have a four-year career judge to a two-year career and all that other stuff. But also ESPN, CBS, Fox, in, in, wherever, you, it doesn't matter. Wherever it is you get your sports from, when we delve into list season, nobody ever agrees. That's that's the, that's the way it works. Um, even if you don't know, like, I, I think Bill Connolly does a great job, for example, in at least laying bare his methodologies, right? He'll tell you, well, this is how I came up with this. And these are the numbers that I'm looking at. And he continues to mine that field really well. And he'll say, now using these numbers, this is what my formula spits out as the best in terms of returning starters on defense or the best opportunities for growth based on SP plus the best, you know, all those things. Right. And even he admits like, there's no, no matter what he puts out there, somebody's going to be angry. I mean, you know, you just, it's a, we don't always agree on these things or the way they're assessed. And that got me thinking about our segment groups. And I was going through and reading uh, an article on Warchant, And I saw a link to an article that, Tom, I was out of town when you guys published. I was not even in, I was not even around when you published the, the thing on the receivers. And then you had a poll and everything, buddy. Well, the poll uh, was released yesterday on the boards. Right. Yeah. Uh, I will say just for the uh, the sake of clarity, I didn't publish this. In ter- Ira is the editor who mo- moves most of the articles live. But yeah, it did happen last weekend with the receivers. Uh, the channel was actually supposed to have a lot of these things lined up with the articles. That's on me. But the ACC stuff just kept on getting a lot of attention. So we spent our time on the conference more than we did the position groups. But now we're starting to circle back. Well, and, and I won't do this with every position group. I mean, I'll direct people to warchant.com to read about it. And to, to you know, if you want to partake in polls on the on the board, go ahead and do it. I mean, that's fine. It's cool. It's always I actually find that fun. Um, if I think, yeah, post that poll. If you can pull that up here that that was done for the receivers because it caught my attention and. I have some disagreement um, with the fi- not the findings. I mean, the findings are the findings. People vote how they vote, um, but it seems like there's an awful lot of stock on Winston Wright and obviously Kentron Portier. But if you think about uh, and and for those watching the show on Warchant TV, you can see the poll is up there and you see the percentages and who got what votes. And, and the and the question is about who is going to be the third most important receiver. It's not about who's got the third most catches or the third most yards because we envision that Florida State will have quite a bit of garbage time this year. So you could have something that's a little bit more deceiving 
and it's the third most important wide receiver. So that eliminates a Jaheim Bell or a Morlock or a Biscuit or even Lawrence Toafili. You might see some of those guys actually higher in the rankings in terms of catches and yards and big plays made on a third down. But specific to the receiving room, because what, now that you have Keon Coleman, he plays a certain position at wide receiver, and Johnny, of course, plays outside as well. Yeah, so that was going to be where I went, and I'm glad you set it up that way. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was thinking about the wide receiver room. And I was thinking, well, okay, Johnny Wilson split out wide. Keon Coleman's going to be split out wide. You, you need to be, if you're voting on uh, the impact of a, of a third receiver, uh, you, you're going to vote a slot guy, um, one would think, right? And, and so I know that people think Winston Wright is going to be that guy. And, and by the way, Kentron Portier is going to matter. He's going to have a, a good year, I think. He did take real steps forward, but he he's on the outside. He's a possession guy. He's a big receiver, just like Johnny's a big receiver, and Keon Coleman's a big receiver, but they're all out there out wide. So I'm looking more inside, and here's the thing. I, I, don't, I don't doubt that Winston Wright will, you know, get back to some kind of form to where he looks – to be a semblance of what he was at West Virginia, where he was so productive and was really their guy, the most dependable receiver they had. And, you know, that's why he, we were so excited when we got him is he was a proven entity in the power five and a guy that you thought could really do some good things for you. And tragically through no fault of his own, you have a car accident and some devastating injuries and surgeries that follow. The first big story there is that, He's okay. You know, that's that's what you really care about. He's okay. The next big story is that, okay, well, he's going to have surgery. What's that mean for his season? Well, it turned out it meant that he couldn't play last year and spent the entirety of the last season uh, rehabbing and getting back to full strength and finding out what range of motion he had and what he could still do. And spring was the first time that he would have an opportunity to truly go live and to maybe showcase that he's all the way back. And I think probably by design, Tom, he was not able to show case that he was all the way back. I, I, there's no doubt that his impact in the spring was minimal. Um, there were not days where we walked away from practice saying, boy, Winston Wright's looking like he's rounding into form. That was never uttered. There was never a moment like that. He ran full speed. He cut. He was in pads. There were times that you thought, okay, well, that's a good sign, real good sign especially given the, the tragedy of a car accident that strips your ability to play football. Um, but I guess this is a long-winded way of me saying, I got to wait and see it before I believe it. I I hate to be this kind of pessimist, but I would rather go with Vendravius Jacobs. I Even though he's a freshman, he was silky smooth in the spring. He was uber productive, far more impactful day-to-day in spring than Winston Wright was. He wasn't even close. Um, yeah, it, it's you're doing the math on will the switch flip because if it does, Winston Wright I mean, climbs to the top of the leaderboard and it's not even close in terms of slot receiver. But this is a tough one. This is a tough one to me because this offense could be so multiple that you know you could line up receivers in weird spots. The tight ends, of course, line up all over the field in, in Norvell's offense. I mean, if you wanted to go trips to the left, I mean, who lines up where in, in that particular circumstance? You know, you could go a, 
a trips look to your left. Then you got Marquise on the end of the line on the right, and you could see where there's a zone read option. Like there's all kinds of weird formations, and, and I don't know who the player is going to be with each set. And Mike Norvell is multiple enough to keep you on your toes. That's what we love about him. Uh, but I, I think if you're just going plainly by a standard operating formation uh, in, in a three or four wide set, you need a slot guy, which means that Ja'Kai Douglas is on the short list with Winston Wright, with Vandravius Jacobs, and then perhaps Darion, who's a larger body but has shown in very limited live game reps that he can line up kind of anywhere and his skill set translates anywhere. But one of the wild cards to me would be Deuce Span. Deuce Span didn't have an awful camp. No, he had a good camp for him. He had a good camp. He he still, he, I don't, the bottom line is when Deuce Span got here, he was as raw as a receiver could be. He was also beyond athletic. He was a gifted gazelle. I mean, that's a guy that when you look at him, you think, holy moly, if the light bulb goes off for him, he could end up being better than all of them. I mean, that sounds crazy, but we're talking extremes. His speed and size and length and I mean, you know, he's ridiculous. He also doesn't know how to play receiver. So, you know, it's, it's, you're kind of, it's, it's gotten better though. You have it's seen, gotten a lot better. It's gotten a lot better. You've yeah. seen the development from a kid who doesn't know how to place his hands and, and receive the ball rather. It's almost like he was swatting at the football rather than trying to receive it and catch it with touch. And that's now a normal thing for deuce. Um, I remember in the the stadium practice, in addition to a couple of standard practices, where in the one-on-ones, he started to make a couple of guys in the secondary look foolish with his release off the line, which shows more of a comfort. You're not thinking about the steps you're taking. You're just playing the position, and you're showing your explosiveness. He also isn't afraid to block either, which I think is important. If you can get a slot receiver who also can profile as a blocker, that would be actually the argument for Kentron to play large in the slot it's not like it's impossible to do so. Think about uh, the Bruce Arians offense and what Heinz Ward was and what Chris Godwin was. And, you know, those guys weren't lined up outside all the time. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yet they could be integral parts of the offense. So, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean in today's day and age of football that your slot guy has to be tiny. It's just if you look at the skill sets of Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman, assuming those two are going to be your stalwarts on the outside and the production suggests as much, what's different? How do you create variety on the field? And that's where you need a little guy. And I would give Ja'Kai Douglas a a fighting chance in that situation because, again, if you've got Jaheim Bell on the field as well, that means Ja'Kai is going to be going against your fourth or fifth best cover corner or safety. And that dude with those quicks, I mean, you're going to win that battle. It's just if you see the green check, I agree with you. Dre Jacobs already looked polished. It reminded me of Rashad Green and just how professional, quote unquote, he looked immediately and in place. It didn't seem like he was a fish out of water. Hakeem Williams was a fish out of water for the first half of camp. Dre was not. So think about this. When we talk about the wide receiver room and it's hard not to get giddy, maybe not in the same way that we did about offensive line, where the offensive line went from, the reason you're losing games to maybe one of the reasons you're going to win games. You know, um, we, we, we've seen a, a seismic shift, but when you pull, pull, I'm sorry, pull that graphic back up again for one second. I, I just want to, I want to do this. So again, not talking about this upcoming season, 
but just looking at how they have flipped this room, you realize that Destin Hill, we saw him now. We know he's a real person, and he's on campus. And when you look at him, he looks the part, right? He's he's not tiny. He's he's athletic. Well, obviously, he's, he's a burner. He's all these things. Now, I don't know how quickly he can get back into, into football and, and be polished because it's been two years. But, you know, he's a young kid with a lot of talent. So you think about Hakeem Williams, Destin Hill, Deuce Span, uh, the continued development of Kentron Portier. You think about Hike. Yes, I said Hakeem Williams, right? Think, think yep. about what you have now. And you got an incoming freshman coming in, too. Yeah, Goldie Lawrence, who's 6'2", 190. Yeah. So you, you really now, when we start projecting outward after this year, this year we know the guys we think are, oh, sorry, I know we already mentioned him, but uh, Vendravius Jacobs is a freshman. So, so here you go. I mean, you're starting to set yourself up now yep. with an opportunity to have height and speed and a, and a, and a, and a route running Jesse and, and Jacobs. You got, you got a lot of guys now that are yep. Hakeem Williams is a freak athletically. When you look at how big and strong he is, they're going to, they're going to have receivers set up now for the next two and three years. And I just want to point out while we're having that conversation about, yep, who's going to impact be the third guy, all that other stuff. It's fun to have these conversations because those names, they come one after the other and you start going, Oh, that's right. They got another one and another one and another one. Well, the question also is, is they going to rotate receivers? And and this is uh, at the bottom of the screen here on Warchan TV. You're seeing a few comments from guys like Matty B. Noel, Mathis Jones, and Vinny Gambini, folks who uh, are subscribers to Warchant.com, the biggest FSU community on the web. Uh, and you could see the, the basic ideas of Kentron being the safe bed or Winston Wright. This is actually the, an important part of the function here. I think about the most important wide receiver. Winston Wright was a first down machine at West Virginia. It's yeah. third and six. You know, you might have four catches in a game for 27 yards, but if three of them move the chains on third down, that is vital. That is vital to the game. And who could be that player? I felt like Pokey Wilson was that guy last year, but Winston Wright could be that particular player. The thing is, remember in the Oklahoma game in the in the bowl, and I wonder if this was more about a bowl game than anything else, but they rotated a ton of wide receivers in the first half. Yeah. Actually, too many for my liking. You can't yeah. get in the rhythm of the game. I don't like that very much. I don't think you bring in Keon Coleman to rotate with Kentron at a 50-50 clip or even a 60-40 clip, but it's something to keep an eye on for this offense this year is are they going to be about – fewer reps and more explosive reps and they're just going to go up and down the line or are they going to pick their horses and then ride them for the two or three quarters when you're trying to assert yourself and then hopefully in most of these games be out of touch in the fourth quarter and you can rotate some guys in I, I don't know the answer to that I know what I like to see but coach Norvell does rotate guys an awful lot on offense so uh this is a another subject and maybe we can get into it next hour I, I don't know I know we got we're up against it here but I'll tell you, Tom, one of the things I admired about the way Clemson built their dynastic run uh, of the last decade, they played a ton of kids. They just played a ton of kids. Every year at the end of the year, <clears throat> this gets largely overlooked and not talked about. At the end of every year, I'd go back and look at snap counts. Um, you, you naturally do it for your own team because you want to see who's, who's progressing and who's not, you know, because it's a reminder. You know, you'll, you'll look, you're like, man, Sons was a sophomore and he played six snaps this year. This is not trending well. You know what I mean? Like you start, you start looking at that. It matters if you get on the field. If they don't think enough of you to get you on the field, and you've been here two full years. Yeah. 
we got a problem, especially if you were a high profile recruit. You know what I mean? So I would look at I'd look at Florida State and I'd look at other teams in this conference, but I would look at Clemson. That dude found a way to get everybody in. Now they beat the hell out of a ton of people. And yeah. It's easier to play guys. My point is if you're operating to peak efficiency as a program and you're winning games the way you're supposed to, and you're recruiting high level talent, you ought to beat the bejesus out of a lot of people. And that should afford you the opportunity to rotate the hell out of every position. And thus it yeah. gives you a chance, especially in the era of NIL and the era of transfer portal to get kids on the field and not, let that dis, you know, that discomfort and anger and frustration grow within a player who's not seeing any playing time. Yeah, I agree. I think that is actually the lone benefit these days of being the ACC. You know, if Florida State was to eventually move and get out of this thing and be at the SEC, yeah, you really wouldn't have too many chances to do it. I mean, you'd have a few, but you wouldn't have six or seven like they no, should this yeah, year. You yeah. might have two. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you might have two chances. Yeah, that's it. Vanderbilt and some other slappy. Vanderbilt that's, slappy is scheduled before Florida. Right. Yeah. That's that's it'd be the only time you have. And um, so and even then, I'm not. Yeah, um, yeah. So I I just while you can. I think you got to do it, but I like this discussion. That was what I was originally getting at was that I saw the article. I saw the poll. I read it myself on warchant.com and then started thinking I should bring this up to Tom because the, the exercise in it in itself allows you to look at all the names and you can debate whatever you want about the third guy, fourth guy, whatever, but it's a reminder that you have a third guy, fourth guy that you have the Genesis of a very good receiving core going into 2024. Right. So you you did not have that a couple of years ago, not even close. And that's why the answer is going to be Destin Hill, because of course it will be. <laughs> Hour number two, fourth coming. Stay with Jeff Cameron, show 93.3 Real Talk Radio or Chant TV.